Go thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. I want to welcome you to today's episode of Bible News Radio. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I always have to do the, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Anyway, hey, everybody, want to welcome you to the show? This is, you're like, why are you on in the afternoon? Well, because I was bored after pickleball today. I decided that I would come home, do a show, and, <laughs> and just have a good afternoon Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no, actually, I'm kidding. Actually, today I want to do a very special show because I have a very special guest uh, who's here that I, I literally met uh, about, I don't know, a couple of months ago. I've been in this very interesting situation where things have been going on in my life and God's been connecting me to a lot of interesting people and Krista Malley is one of those people. Okay, so maybe you guys remember about a month or so ago I interviewed Pam Gillespie, right? I interviewed Pam, and Pam did this thing called God Time Together that Elizabeth did at their church. I'm hoping not to get this all messed up. And anyway, long story short, then Pam did this Bible study thing that I decided to become a part of, and then as a result, Krista came in to speak at that. So that's how I met Krista, was through all of that stuff. So indirectly through Elizabeth and Pam, directly through Pam, and then directly through Zoom, we met Krista. And when Krista came in to talk, one of the things that she was talking about was her new normal because not too long ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. As you know, cancer sucks. Yeah, it does. I hate it, just so you know. Um, But I decided when I heard her testimony that I loved it, reached out to her, had, had had a very warm, heartwarming conversation, tears flowed, I was crying and stuff. And, and I just felt really compelled to have her on the show because I think that everybody has a story to tell, and I think that I wanted to tell hers. So, welcome to the show. Do me a favor, share it out, okay? And I'll tell you a little bit <clears throat> about Krista. Krista is married. Yeah, she is. She is a mom. Yeah, she is. And um, she actually uh, she has a dog. <laughs> Which I think I'm beginning to make requisite to being a guest on my cat lovers. I, I apologize. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, <laughs> you you can have a cat if you want, and you, you can be my guest still. Um, her mom is Deb, and I was just told to move my microphone up so you can hear me better, even though I can hear myself good. Anyway. And uh, she is a writer, an encourager. She's somebody that, honestly, I wish that I could literally jump through this screen and give a big hug to because um, I like to hug all of my guests because I love all my guests. And um, and I'm going to just say that's about it. That's all I'm going to say. She's the daughter of the Most High King, and she's here to encourage all of us today. So, Krista, hey, welcome to the show. Glad you're here. <laughs> Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, you know, I know you have a... Uh, some Christmas decorations behind you. Yes, they've been up for some time, actually. Really? Like a long time? Yes. Yeah. I feel like during COVID, we need to celebrate. And so we put them up at the beginning of November. 
Nice. Nice. Yes. So as we get into this interview, let me ask you something. Who are you? I mean, I, I, I just went ahead. I gave a little thumbnail sketch of who you are, but like, who are you for real? So I, that's a loaded question. <laughs> am I for I've real? That, I've, heard, I've heard that before, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the day, but I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter of the Lord. And um, right now I'm a cancer fighter. And so I try not to have that be my um, defining quality, but I've learned so much through what God has taught me during my cancer that it's not actually a negative thing. It's been a positive thing. And so it's taught me so many lessons. And I think that that's some of the things I want to talk to your listeners about today. Nice. <clears throat> okay. Well, let's, let's go back. Let's go back to, you know, your childhood. Well, well, first of all, how old are you now? How, how old are you? How old am I? How, how young am I? Yeah. I'm 45. You're 45. Okay, cool. Just a couple years younger than me. I'm, I just, just, I'm like just over 50. Yeah, I am. Yeah, we are. We are 60s children, aren't we? We're close, right? No, <laughs> no, you were born in the 70s. If I was born young. in 75. I was, I'm say, I was born in 68. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we're close enough. Okay. I was, wearing, I was wearing leg warmers. You were wearing flowers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had the Rubik's Cube. Just saying. There you go. Yeah. Okay, so let, all right. So, let, well, tell me a little bit about your background, about your childhood. You know, I'm just kind of curious, like how you grew up, and and uh, you know, a little bit about that. So, I grew up. So, my upbringing was a little different because my dad is a pastor, and so I grew up as a PK and all that entails. We grew up in a really small rural rural town in Ohio, and so. I have a younger sister and an older brother, and I loved it. I loved being a pastor's daughter, and we had a little tiny church that we could walk to from our house, and we lived in a parsonage, and it was just a really quiet little town. Until I was 13, we moved here, and so my dad became the pastor of Emmanuel Church in Gurney, and now he is retired, <laughs> which means he's actually working at another church right now in a different capacity. But I think once a pastor, always a pastor. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I had a really great upbringing and I'm very thankful for that. That's nice. So yeah. you know what stands out to me about all of that? You're a, you're a middle child. I am also a middle child. Yes. Hey, middle children rock. <laughs> Just saying. High five over the over the airwaves there. <clears throat> yeah, I'm a firstborn middle child, but you you are a firstborn. Yeah, you're. Wait, did you say your your sister is older or, or younger? No, my sister's younger, and my brother's older. Ah, you're a firstborn yeah. middle child too, then. I am in the middle. Yep. But you're a firstborn girl, which yes. means that you're a firstborn middle child, which means that you're probably got a little bit of type A personality in you. A little bit. Although we all have a little bit. The Borman clan, we are all slightly, we have leadership capabilities. Yeah, you do. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing. Okay, so when you and I had, had our heartwarming conversation a while back, <clears throat> one of the things about you that really struck me was, 
was just how direct you are. And, and actually, you know, your mom, when I, when I heard her too, um, being interviewed, you and your mom are like so direct. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if that's a, a Chicago thing or, or if it's, you know, a Borman thing, but, but what I can tell you is I totally love that. And that's, that's one of the things that just, I find endearing about you is that you're, you're just direct, you know? Yeah. Did, did you learn that? We're very with- open people. We aren't very private people. And so, yes, I kind of tell it how it is. Like I told you, I'm like, I don't care what questions you ask because I'm not a very private person. So why do you feel the need? Those are some things I would not want you to ask, (laughs) but yeah. Well, as a retired therapist, I have to draw a thin line because, you know, I talk a lot about a lot of intimate stuff in therapy when I did that. So, but uh, yeah. Okay. So so we know a little bit about your background. Now let me ask you about, about well, let's just talk about your cancer, okay? Because that's really why we wanted to have you on. And tell me, tell me what it is, what kind, what stage. So I have um, stage four metastatic melanoma cancer. And so I did not know, I've gone for years and years and years to the dermatologist. And if they see something that's questionable, they take it off. And so I always just figured if you have melanoma, you take it off your skin and then your melanoma gets better. But I didn't know that it actually goes inside of your body if it's left untreated. And so I did have something taken off my skin years ago but apparently that did not get taken off completely or something happened there. So in uh, March of 2019, I was having severe abdominal pain and went to the ER and they found out that it had spread. At that point, it was in my liver, my um, ovaries, my intestinal tract, my bones. And so it basically had metastasized to many locations at that point. Wow. Yeah. So when you, when you found that out, what happened? I mean, like what, what was your thought that went through your head? Yeah. So that was a very surreal moment. And I just was like, how is this going to change life? I was teaching at the time and I was very grateful. I was teaching in a school that I adored and I just started there in January of that year. So I'd only been there about three months about maybe not even that long. And um, I loved it. And so I was just wondering, am I going to be able to work? What is this going to look like? Of course, those who know me, I went and Googled immediately what this cancer was and um, what the survival rate was, and it was not good. And so I just didn't know what this new normal was going to look like. So, yeah. So unlike me, I mean, you're just exactly like me. If I, if I get a diagnosis, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. Darn you. Yeah, I will. So <laughs> you're, you're not abnormal in that regard. I think most of us go to Google, you know, and WebMD to figure out things, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I can, I can see you being completely, you know, side swiped by, uh, yeah. by this. I mean, cause it's like all of a sudden one day you're getting ready to teach you're doing all this other stuff you're except except you're feeling this pain and then you find out this is a melanoma cancer which yeah. you know honestly i had never heard that before when before i heard your story i was like the only thing that i understood about it was that it could get on your skin you could get it removed my dad you know had had it mm-hmm. um so you just had cramping in your stomach basically and yeah and 
it got so bad you just went to the doctor. Okay. Right. So you said stage four and what, what's the survival rate approximately? So the survival rate in man's viewpoint is um, five, uh, the five year survival rate is about 20%. So um, my doctor said that I likely have about one or two years, but it'll be two years in March since I was diagnosed. But since my diagnosis and all of my Google checking and everything, I know that God knows when I'm gonna die and he knows when I'm gonna live and it's up to him. And so there are, there are many people that have beat the odds. There are new, there's new research, there's new medications and some people have lived 20 years with it, have lived 15 years with it. So on paper, it does not look like a good thing, but yeah. Well, let me tell you something. I have a friend, her name is Cheryl Chumley mm -hmm. and Cheryl Chumley writes for, uh, I forgot what she writes for, a, a, a very conservative magazine. And her husband was diagnosed with stage four cancer and they pretty much gave him the death penalty as a result. She was, I believe, an atheist at the time that that happened. Mm -hmm. um, and she eventually became a Christian through a lot of circumstances. Um, she went from the, the very far left liberal to the Bible-believing born-again Christian right. <laughs> and... Um, and her husband is still living 20 years later. Yeah. So God, I, I believe that God can heal you. And I believe that he can do whatever he wants because he's God, we're not. And, you know, what I love about you is that, I mean, I mean, let's just be real. We all have a terminal diagnosis, right? And, and plus Dexter's out there. <laughs> Dexter? I'm sorry. That was bad. <laughs> Do you even know who that is? No, I have okay, no good. idea. <laughs> all right. Well, just so you all know, I never watched the show, but I, I guess I think Dexter is some serial killer guy. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And, well, anyway, you can you can go watch. This is what you call fail people. <laughs> that was a bad joke. Anyway, um, but anyway, the point is, is that, you know. God, God can do whatever he wants. And, uh, you know, and I mean, two years. All right. So you could say, you're going to be here. I wouldn't worry about it too much. So what do you want people to know, though? So, yeah. So when I first received my diagnosis, I was kind of like, what is this going to do? I did have to end up, I ended up stopping teaching. So unfortunately, in May of 2019, I did have to go on disability just because of all my treatments and all of the different side effects. And I had a really hard time because I didn't understand. I'm, I had a hard time figuring out what does this mean? What is my purpose now? I have no purpose. I'm sitting in the house all day. There's some days that I can't even help around the house because of my side effects. And I really struggled. Um, my daughter, my wonderful teenage daughter, she said, why don't you blog about what you've learned? My wonderful teenage daughter is like walking in the door. Nice. Wow. I would come over and say devil, But she's an angel. Anyway, she encouraged me to start blogging. She said, you know what? God is teaching you. And I decided that I was going to write about the lessons God taught me. And so my blog is called new normal life one at wordpress.com. And 
I never write in there unless God is giving me a lesson that I feel like other people in their new normal can benefit from because your new normal might not be cancer, but it might be divorce and it might be financial insecurity or the death of a child or the death of a parent. And so many of us, well, with COVID right now, we all have a new normal. And so the lessons that God taught me are not just for people with cancer. Um, it's for anybody struggling with a new normal. And so it's so helped me to find a purpose in blogging and it helped me to find the purpose in my pain. And so God has taught me so many lessons. I, I honestly can say from like birth to age, whatever, 43, I have not grown as much as in the last two years, yet last year and a half. And that's just amazing to me. And it's totally different. Would I ask for this? No. Would I ask for it? No, definitely not. But he has taught me so many lessons that I can help to encourage other people. And so it's given me a complete different purpose in life. So, yeah. I love that. You know, and, and you know, what's really interesting about, about that is that honestly, I think most of us, we all go through some type of trial, right? We, we go through our fiery furnace trial and, <clears throat> and we suffer. And unfortunately, part of the sin sick fallen world is, is suffering, right? We learn, we, and yet we can identify with Christ in our, in our sufferings as a result of that. Um, and I don't know, honestly, anybody who has ever really gone through a suffering journey where looking back once they're out of it, they go, I wish I had never gone through that because I like who I am now. And, and it really does burn away a lot of the stuff that, uh, you know, that's there. And, you know, the interesting thing is, and I really do want your opinion on this. I think sometimes our suffering, yes, we're the vessel, we're going through it, we're dealing with it and stuff, but I think often our suffering is for the benefit of others. Yes. So it it all depends. I mean, there are people who are suffering, but they aren't willing to learn from it. And I think that's the first step that you need to find your suffering and find a way to learn for it from it. And so one of my things is that there's a verse in scripture that talks about how God comforts us and that we can go and comfort others with the comfort that we've been given. He says comfort like many, many times. It's 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. And I think that that's so, so true because when I started my, when I had my diagnosis and even now the people who have been there the most for me are people who've gone through cancer. And that amazes me. And I think that sometimes God puts trials in our life because he's going to put people in our life that are going through the same thing. And we can say, hey, I don't understand totally what you're going through, but I've been there and I can help you because I've kind of gotten through the other side. And um, I think that's one of his greatest reasons for trials is to grow us and then help us to grow others and encourage others as well. Amen. Yeah. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. And you know, I mean, one of the reasons that I, I enjoyed talk I, the day I actually talked, just so everybody knows, the day I talked to Chris, I was, I didn't even call her up to talk about this. I called her up because honestly, um, when Pam had interviewed her in the group, one of the things that we were talking about was the idea of di well, people on disability. And I know a lot of my audience is disabled. 
Um, and I talk to a lot of my audience personally because I know all I I know I know most of you, <laughs> you know. And I don't always feel personally like I can offer uh, what maybe you need, right? And part of my job as this host or whatever you want to call me is trying to bring people in front of you that that maybe can because I don't know what it's like to have a terminal disease. Um, I did have have a uterine cancer issue that was rectified with a hysterectomy, um, and my mom died of cancer. And, of course, everybody in some way has been touched by cancer. But the reason I reached out to Krista was because I wanted to find out what would be a good way to reach out to somebody who is lonely, who is isolated at home, and, of course, you know, disabled, maybe can't do what they did before. Um, and yet, and COVID, of course, made everything horrible because well for introverts though yes i mean covid covid is a blessing for us because we're like yay don't gotta go anywhere <laughs> necessarily but hey you know even us introverts have a little bit you know we need outside time a little bit but um but i contacted you because i wanted your opinion and you know one of the things that you told me you do is is to that to reach out and i want you to talk a little bit about that because i know people uh it's a big struggle and it used to be for me years ago i remember before we all had cell phones and we were all connected at the hip 24 7 that uh i would pick up the phone with the cord and i would i would call people and i would be the one to always call and to reach out and other people wouldn't reach out to me because for whatever reason i don't know i used to take it personal uh, but I learned not to, and I eventually got over that. And, and you said something very similar to that. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so so it's very interesting. When I started my diagnosis, I had to, I could not leave my house. So not only was I not working, but I also couldn't drive because of my cancer side effects and also from my medications. And so I was very much in my house. So when when COVID hit and everybody was like, oh, we're stuck in our house. It was helpful because I was able to be there and teach people the lessons that I learned through being in my own quarantine. And so I know I have one of my blogs is about surviving quarantine and about just the things that you need to do to um, survive it. And, you know, one of them is just to start with God every day to start with spending time with God. One of the greatest benefits of my disability is that I have time. And so I can spend that time with God every morning um, to keep a schedule, to try to go outside, to help others. When you help others, it takes your mind off yourself um, to do things you love, to not give up looking nice, to actually keep your house kind of tidy because otherwise, you know. But one of the things what you're talking about that's really important is to spend time with people. And if you're going to just sit in your house and wait and wait and wait for people to come to you, it might never happen. And so one thing I learned years ago is that if I need people, then I need to make it happen. And I need to get some girlfriends and be like, hey, let's get together and meet at such and such place. And so now it's a little trickier because of COVID, of course. And oftentimes we can only meet in Zoom or we have to be really, really creative. I used to meet in my front yard, but it's a little chilly right now. But it is, I think one of the lessons that I've learned in life is I need community. And if community isn't going to come to me, then I need to just find some girlfriends and be like, hey, if you want to get together, let's get together. So 
Amen. Well, and, and, and you know what? The community, that is the issue that most people don't have. And, yeah. and, and, and I want to talk to that because, okay, because, because honestly, <laughs> so many of you, okay, so, and, and this is a church issue, okay? Um, and I love the church. I love the body of Christ. But from when we were both kids to today, the church by and large is not like it was then. I mean, I wasn't raised in the church, um, but I became a believer in high school. And I remember, um, you know, there was a Wednesday night Bible study and then there was the youth group. And then, you know, I Sunday morning, Sunday night and we could go and all that today. I mean, and there were prayer meetings even, you know, it was always people over 50 and, you know, stuff. So it was like people us like us now. They were the, the prayer warriors back then. And, and I laugh because I go, how did this happen? <laughs> how do we get older? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, look, ah, no, there's this gray hair. No. Uh, but anyway, churches today, they're, they're, they're not that way. I mean, you're lucky if you can find a Bible study in, in some churches, um, let alone the cross somewhere. Um, and community is often um, not really community. Um, you know, you can have a one, you can have a once a, a week meeting, let's say a home fellowship or something, but you know, in the book of Acts, it says they met daily. And, uh, what I can tell you, and this is just my own testimony and you can take it for what it's worth. But what I can tell you is doing this God time together thing every day, uh, minus a couple of days on the weekend. What that has showed me was honestly how disconnected I am, even though I'm in, quote, ministry and I talk to people every day. There's a difference between just sitting with God's word and his people and fellowshipping around him. <laughs> and yeah. it's just so, it's, I have talked about this ever since I've been a part of it because it's, it's, it's like, what the heck? How come all of a sudden, like, You know, it's almost like, okay, I found this gold thing and I want everybody to have it, you know, but it's like so few people, people want it or, or they don't know about it or maybe they're afraid of it. Do you think, do you think people are afraid of community? Um, I think they get too busy in their lives. Too busy. Okay. Time for community. But I will say, I think a couple of things that are important is one, reach out to churches in a capital C. Because, for example, I have an amazing church that I go to. I go to Emmanuel Church in Gurney. But sometimes I go to New Hope Church, which is an amazing church. And if they have a Bible study that God's leading me to go to, I'll go there. I am in a, I'm in a group called Vantage Point, but they didn't have Vantage Point at my church. So I go to Lakeland Church, which is also an amazing church, and I go there. And so, and then sometimes, like I said, you need to make your own community. And if you really feel like, um, there's nothing out there for you. For an example, I prayed to God about community and he said, you need to start it and you need to make a group. And so I have a group of women. Our group is called prayer and share. And we just get together every week and we talk about what God has done in our life and we pray for each other. And these women are like, that is like my deep breath time, my deep sigh time, because I love spending time with them. But it wouldn't have happened if I didn't reach out to see other people that had the need as well. 
And I also have an amazing mentor. And again, that would have never happened if I didn't pray about it and reach out to her and say, hey, could you mentor me? Because I could really use your wisdom in life. And so I think sometimes we need to look outside of our own church if there's something that God's leading us to. Because um, sometimes there are things in our own church and my church for Emmanuel, Emmanuel has amazing women's ministry. And the Bible study, the Bible leaders there are amazing. But sometimes I go elsewhere and that's okay. I don't think we need to feel like, oh, I abandoned my church. You know, wherever God's leading you to find community and to encourage other people, go there. Yeah. Amen. By the way, your family's watching. Hey, family. So Michelle says you're the best. And that's, I am, that's, I am the bomb though. That's what I am, Michelle. Yeah, you are. (laughs) (laughs) I find it funny that you said my family and then you said Michelle, which is kind (laughs) of true. (laughs) Well, well, your mom and dad, for sure. They're there. And Sean is admitting that we are old. Uh, Yeah, we are. (laughs) You know what? You get a whole different perspective when you have cancer. Cause I'm like, add more years and I'm all fine with that. If I say I'm 50, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> there you go. Well, and that's, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. It, it is all about your perspective. And I, and I love that. So the community though, that you're talking about, are you talking that you have to go in person to these places or are you talking about zoom fellowship or whatever? Yeah. So right now things are obviously different. My VP three group, we met in person, um, the whole first year that after my diagnosis, we met in person and then we met in person this year outside, but recently we've had to go to zoom because it's just too cold to sit outside and, um, with COVID spiking and so forth. Um, my prayer and share group, we meet by zoom because one of them lives in Florida. So I really think that we need to have a get a girls get together (laughs) later on when COVID's over in Florida, but most of my groups right now are via Zoom, which is hard because it's different. But once Corona's over, it'll be so great to just have people in my house again and be able to really have community and give people hugs. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you know, it's interesting. What I've, what I've uh, noticed is that in the networking community that I'm in, there has been a little bit, there was kind of the initial like, okay, we all got to go to Zoom in order to do our work and blah, blah. Okay. I, I was already doing a lot of my work on on the internet, so it was no big deal. But after a while, uh, I think because of the media and the fear that that they like to promote constantly, like, be afraid of everything in a world where fear exists. We want you to fear fear no matter what fear looking at yourself in the mirror, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous what, you know, what, what they, they want us to be afraid of. And so many people are afraid. And then, so then all of a sudden they're like, I'm in Tennessee. So they've opened up a lot of us and we're kind of like, okay, we can go ahead. We can go, we can go to a restaurant, but only if there's only half of the people there, because how dare us sit at the next table next to somebody else, because we might spread our germs and the whole world will end as a result. Um, even in pickleball, we, you know, we have to have a court between us, which is so not fun. Cause it's like, when you lose the ball, you got to walk farther to get it, which kind of defeats the whole idea of exercise, but whatever. Anyway, so 
Have you noticed, though, that people have been afraid to get in person again? Because there, there is an energy, but I've noticed that there's an energy on Zoom as well. If you build it, they will come, just like the Ark Encounter. Yeah, I would definitely say my family's probably laughing right now because a lot of times I'm one of the people, because of my cancer, I need to be careful. And so I need to watch out being around with other people, especially with the numbers rising and so forth. And um, I know one of my blogs is called The Battle of the Mind. And it's one thing I struggle with, to be totally honest. I struggle with it. And just the ways that blog talks about things that God has taught me that when my mind, we call my dad and I call it snowballing. When you have a little tiny fear and then you keep thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. But um, scripture says in Colossians 3, 1, set your mind on things above and setting our mind, it's not going to happen automatically. And so that blog of mine was all about things to do when you're afraid. And it is a battle of the mind. My mind can go crazy. Again, I can Google things all the time and find out why is my body doing this? Because every day I have so many side effects that are just so weird and I might feel fine one day and the next day I'm feeling bad. And so I need to continuously set my mind on things above and to remember that God's in control. But you do have to have, you have to have a balance in COVID of being wise as well. You know, I'm not going to go and take my mask off and have a party with 50 people. And yeah, so it's a hard, it's a hard time to traverse right now. And it's hard to be wise knowing what to do and what not to do for sure. So walk me through a thought that you would have and, and show us how you talk yourself down. So... Let's just say that maybe I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have really bad abdominal pain. And so my first thought might be, oh my goodness, my tumors are growing. My tumors are growing. I don't have a CT scan for several months. And so I'm not going to know, and it's going to grow the size of a basketball. (laughs) And so I think the biggest, I don't think, I know the biggest, most important thing for me in my life is I need to spend time with God all the time. In the morning, I need to spend quality time with him and just give everything to him and give him all of my stressors and be like, hey, you know it anyway, God, and just give it to him and not take it back all day and be like, okay, I gave it to you, but now I'm going to worry about it again. And um, that's just such a big thing for me. But also I'm going to give a shameless plug for a book that I adore, um, A Thousand Gifts by Ann Voskamp transformed my life. And the basic gist, here's the cliff note version. (laughs) It talks about being grateful. And I think being grateful can change our fearful attitudes so quickly. And so the idea of a thousand gifts is to just look around your life at the big things that God's given you, but also the little tiny things. I personally, I write them down in a journal and I take photos of them as well. But just the fact this morning, my mom bought me peppermint mocha coffee. I love peppermint mocha. And I just sat with my peppermint mocha and I took a picture and I was like, Lord, this is so silly, but thank you for this peppermint mocha, (laughs) you know, and it, it changes your attitude. It changes your fear because your mind, you know, this is a therapist, your mind can only hold one thought. And so if you're going to change your thoughts to thoughts of gratefulness, 
it's not going to have room for your thoughts of fear. And so that's, those are two things that I do that help with my fear, but I've got to admit, I have bad days for sure. Oh yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, I love what you're saying because it's been proven First of all, it's biblical. Philippians 4, 8 tells us what to think about, right? So when we're entertaining what I refer to as those vain philosophies, those, those vain thoughts, um, it can, it can really, you know, you know, you can, you can, you're a great fiction author, you know, (laughs) cause you know, and it's vain, right? I mean, that's what scripture says. It's a vain thing. And I know this because I, at one point dealt with agoraphobia and I actually was trapped in my house because of my own fear. It was hard for me to leave my house and I had to, I had to really work through that. Um, so I changed the acronym false evidence appearing real to faith every day accomplishes results, um, in my mind, because you have to have that faith. And part of that faith is being grateful. And so, um, I can testify a hundred million percent to the fact that if you are a person of gratitude, that will rewire your brain instantly. Um, I started writing down like you, you like peppermint mocha. I started writing down, you know, everybody's like, write down one or two a day. I started writing down 10 a day and you know, the, the challenges make it different, but you know, you can't say stuff like I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my dog. I'm thankful for, you know, you, it, that's too general. You gotta be super, super like massively specific. Like I'm thankful for hot water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause if you've ever not had hot water when it's freezing out, then, you know, or, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for my new fuzzy socks cause they're, they're warm, you know, I mean, there's, and it really is true. And there's a gazillion gratitude journals out there. And here's the other thing, the whole world, the whole world. And I mean that literally the world, the secular world, they know this, they, they promote this stuff constantly in networking groups and self-help improvement, all this other stuff. Um, and, but, but the church we're like, oh yeah, Philippians 4, 8. Yeah. Well, it's just, yeah, just, oh, we should, you know, <laughs> no, we don't, no, we don't do it, you know? Uh, so peppermint mocha, I like that. I love that myself, just so you know. But I, I think also it's necessary to slow down because you can't see the things that God's given you if you don't take the time to look. And I know Ann Voskamp also talks about going in Hawaii to a glass bottom boat and that nobody looks down at the glass bottom boat when you're driving and he's speeding to get to this beautiful place in Hawaii and no one looks at the glass bottom boat because there's nothing to see when he's speeding and it's only when he slows down and he stops that everybody's like oh my goodness look at the beauty and I think that that's God has put me in a place where I have to slow down and stop I have many many minutes many I have lots of time on my hand to slow down and stop but I know when I was a teacher I didn't have that time unless I made that time because you're just constantly going, 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 grading papers, coming home, grading more papers. And to just see the beauty in what God has given you, you have to stop. You have to slow down and pause. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is that not only do we, can we conquer the fear and walk through that spiraling in your head by being grateful and writing things down, but also to slow down. And, you know, I can tell you, um, excuse me, having um, went through the journey with my mom with the cancer, I had to drive her everywhere and, um, you know, helping her 
in the bathroom and, you know, just various things because she was so weak. Uh, and now I take care of my dad, who's 92, who is six years ago when he came into my life. I was like, <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden my dad with Parkinson's and he's like one step, another step shuffle, you know, and I have to really learn to slow down because of that. But you know what I learned? Cause you're right. When you slow down, you miss a lot. Well, when you're not slowing down, you're missing a lot. And, um, it, it's, it's hard to explain, but like, like that example you gave on your blog about the, the boat, you know, I love fish and I would love to go on one of those things. I just think it would be the coolest thing ever. Just get over there and then, you know, you look down and there it is. Cause there's a whole new world. And I really want to sing that right now, but I'll spare you. Me too. It's a whole new world. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I wish. <laughs> hey, do you know the song that never ends? I do, but I'm not. I'm not gonna. Play <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah, I for some reason. Evil song. <laughs> well, it's not. It's not, that's a good song. <laughs> As long as you end it eventually. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so... <clears throat> okay, so you're, you're living in fear, uh, but you're, ha you're having victory over it. You're reaching out to people. You're building community. Um, and then you go to treatment. Tell me what going through treatment's like for you. So my, my treatment's been two... We've tried two different kinds of treatment. And so my treatment started... At my diagnosis, we started what was called immunotherapy, which is supposed to be the most beneficial for my kind of cancer. And so basically it makes your immune system kick up into high gear and we all have breaks on our immune system and it basically takes the breaks off and it makes your body fight the cancer on its own. But as a result, I have rheumatoid arthritis as well. And when those breaks are taken off, um, it affects the rheumatoid. And so when I first went on immunotherapy, my joints hurt, it hurt bad, and I couldn't walk long distances. So I had to start using a walker and wheelchair, which is humbling. But um, then I switched to chemotherapy and the chemotherapy, or they also call it targeted therapy, it made me sick every day. And so I just really struggled with the longevity. Do I want to live a life where I'm sick every day? And I'm vomiting and everything like that. So, and it wasn't showing the greatest results either. And so we did switch back to immunotherapy, but the strange thing was for some reason, after the time went by, the immunotherapy changed in my body. And so instead of just being kind of sore, I really got to the place where after my treatments, I couldn't walk at all. And so that's been difficult. Um, because my husband's had to carry me places and what do I do when he's not here and trying to figure out how to navigate life. Um, but you just never know what's going to happen. And so the last treatment that I have, I have a wonderful group of prayer warriors and they prayed that God would help me with the side effects. I had absolutely no side effects that time. Who knows why? I have another treatment that I'm supposed to get in a few days and that might react completely differently, but it was wonderful because so this last month, I've been able to more or less walk places as long as it's not a long distance. And so, yeah, so that's, that's been where my treatment has been taking me so far, but 
So it's working to an extent. <laughs> well, I, I remember that and I was praising the Lord with you because, yeah. um, I mean, you know, so yeah, God's yeah. good. Yeah, he is. Okay. So I know that I don't even know how long we're going to do this. How long did you want to do the interview? A half hour? No, wait, an hour, an hour and a half. <laughs> Whatever you want. I did not talk to you about this. So, okay. Well, you have other comments here. So Joe says she's known for her joy in 99% of the time. Amazing to me. Uh, Michelle says you're a musical fanatic, which, you know, that's actually. That's, I, a, I, com that's a compliment. I believe it. <laughs> it's because Michelle loves musicals so very much. <laughs> what is your favorite musical? My favorite? Oh, my goodness. Ooh, I can tell you what mine is. Well, I, I can tell you the the um, the pirate movie. <laughs> the pi Have you the seen it? Have you? Well, not. No, no. This is the pirate movie. This is the mockery of that. It's it's the one with Christy McNichol and Christopher Atkins. You know, they have the song. Give me a happy ending every time. And, you know, have you never seen it? You should see it. It's no, I, the blank stare is the blank stare is because I, I've never heard of that one. Hmm. I will say today. I was thinking of Greatest Showman, and I do love me some Greatest Showman. <clears throat> Basically, I love anything with Hugh Jackman in it. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, what else do you I like? So, so what are, what's your favorite food? I do not. Probably pizza. I've heard Probably. I've heard that's a common thing in Chicago. Yeah. And my dad's right. If that was Joe, my dad, about joy, yes, God has given me so much joy. But I have to say, the people that get the uh, one percent would be my husband and daughter, you know. And I just people forget that when you have somebody fighting cancer or any kind of illness, you are also affecting the people who love you. And my husband is such an amazing trooper. And he helps me so much, but he gets tired. You know, it's a battle that he has to fight. And my daughter just dealing with the stress of that and seeing her mom hurting. And my parents have been there for me. They are my transportation. They take me places. They get things, you know, they've been such a great support for me. My wonderful sister, who's my best friend, but they are all, they all struggle. It's hard to see your loved one going through something like that. And people forget that it's not only the person with cancer, it's also their family that's hurting, mm -hmm. but well, they need just as much prayer. The reality is, is that caregivers die often before the people they're caring for. Well, that, that would be depressing. <laughs> it's true though. I mean, I've studied this because of taking care of my dad and, you know, full-time caregivers who don't have the support. Um, yeah. I, I can tell you I'm a caregiver, been doing it for a long time. And uh, you don't realize how much you carry. And, it, and, and it's interesting because there's that battle between what do you do with caring for somebody you love and adore and then the person who's being cared for does trying not to feel like a burden. Like, yeah. like uh, you know, and, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because it, it goes down to quality of life and really like, are we worth it? And, and we are we are worth it. My dad's worth it. You're worth it. If I was in that situation, God, I would hope that somebody would think I would be worth it, you know, to take care of. Um, so, 
So why do you think that is? Why do you think that we, we struggle with stuff like that? We want to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. But I honestly, I really, truly, those of you who know my husband, and so he has to take the brunt of things often. I mean, he comes home from work and then I can't run the errands. So he has to run the errands. And when I'm not doing well, he needs to clean the house. You know, he has so much on his back, but those of you who know my husband, I really, and Esther, it talks about being made for such a time as this, not to put like a girl's verse on my husband, but he has the biggest servant's heart of anybody I've ever known. And I think that part of that, part of God putting us together is because God knew I would need that. And um, he's just amazing. He just keeps helping and helping, but you're right. I mean, he needs support and he needs time off as well, but it's just been amazing to me that he'll, I mean, he'll be like, I'll be like, oh, I really feel like some mint chocolate chip ice cream. And he'll be like, on it. I'm like, you don't have to go to the store just cause I want ice cream, but he would. You know, and he would do that for anybody, but I'm just really blessed to have people in my life that have servant spirits like that. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to just have fun with that though? Like get a bell and just say, Hey, please. And like wake up at two o'clock in the morning and say, Oh, I really would love ring the bell just to see what would happen. See if he would, he would probably do it. You know my husband, he would probably do it. I would probably do it with my husband just just once. And just to see if he would do it, then that would be it. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I am nowhere near as sacrificial as he is. So if the if the shoe was on the other foot, I don't know how it would I don't know how it would go. Well, between you and me, I'm I'm a lot like you. (laughs) Uh servanthood is not my gift. It's not. I mean, exhortation, encouragement, definitely my gift. But like, you know, and this, this actually would irritate me growing up, you know, when we, Randall and I were married, you know, it was kind of like we would go to church and they would say, hey, is anybody here who would want to help pick up 500 chairs afterwards? And my husband would be like, yeah. Like, yeah. what the heck? You're going to be gone for like two hours doing, you know, you know, and then I would get mad and resentful. Like, what the heck is yes. your issue? Yeah. Have you dealt with that? yourself oh totally my <laughs> husband will be helping somebody on the side of the road and i'll be like we're late why do you have to always help people no we're not buying more ramen noodles for the food pantry <laughs> yeah, darn those starving people <laughs> right so, yeah. but he teaches me and so i mean i'm probably better than i used to be <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. Let me ask you this. So what has, um, you know, I mean, we're kind of making light because, because it is funny, but at the same time, it's not because I believe the Lord wants to transform all of us into his image. So what's something surprising that you've learned about Jesus through all of this? Surprising that I learned about Jesus. (sighs) Well, that's a hard one because he's taught me so many things like to pick one. I think just the fact that he desires to be with me and that we have a God that would even care to be with his people so dramatically. And there are so many times that he just shows his fingerprints on things in my life. And he, and he's like, 
it's just amazing that he, that the king of the universe would care enough to spend time with me. And he'll show me scripture verses and he'll speak to me. And I just think that's amazing. And I knew it before, but I think now I just have more time to see it. So I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned about him. But I've also learned that God uses pain to change people into better people if they'll let it. I know I had a I had a quote that I loved from C.S. Lewis, because I really think it's true. It says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's a megaphone to a deaf world. And I think God showing me how he's completely changed me because of my pain has been really eye-opening for me, has been really amazing to me. So I think that was the biggest thing that he just cares to be with me and that he's using my pain to change me into a better person for his glory. Yeah. That's beautiful. So let's talk about the inevitable if you don't make it. How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a person who had joy in the middle of suffering. And I want to be remembered as a person who cared for people who are hurting and who was there for them. Because really, when you have cancer or a terminal illness, your perspective changes a lot because things that seemed really big and important aren't big and important anymore. And so really, um, one of my blogs was about that. And it was actually my most important blog. I don't remember what I titled it. Oh, I titled it Life After Death. That kind of makes sense. Mm. Because everything I have is temporary. The only thing that ever is going to matter are the people that I bring to Christ. The people that um, are in my life or the people that hear my blogs and they come to Christ. That's, that's it. That's all that mattered. And so I want to be remembered as somebody who had joy in the midst of pain, somebody who helped others in their pain. And I just want to be able to bring souls to heaven with me. So nice. So obviously you've thought a lot about that. Now, what about? Yeah, I have, especially with my legacy with my daughter. I want her to see me as somebody who was brave during this time. And I want her to see my life with Christ and how he has been with me so that she could, she could um, use that legacy in her life when she's going to have struggles. You know, it's interesting you should say that because that was my next question. Um, It was probably, oh, I don't know how many years ago it was, but there, there's a woman, her name is Miriam Ibrahim. And she was in the news many years ago because she was taken captive by um in uh she was part of the persecuted church she was pregnant uh she had a child she was through i would believe it was this the sudan and um they basically gave her i think it was a hundred lashes they were going to kill her they gave her the death penalty plus lashes to basically kill her um and so when i was writing all about the christian persecution for all those years i did that um she was like the 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 main woman that everybody was talking about well god did a a miracle and delivered her and she uh, made it out of the Sudan made it to America made it somehow into my LinkedIn account reached out to me (laughs) which I thought was weird (laughs) like who does that and uh, anyway I got to interview her 
And one of the things I asked her, which was amazing to me, was I said, I said, what was it that got you through being in that jail that it was dirty, you know, and she had her little boy there and she was nine months pregnant. She actually gave birth in chains, which, you know, is crazy. I, I asked her, how did she get through that? And what she told me blew me away. She said, <clears throat> she said, my, I didn't want my son to see me scared. I wanted him to see my faith because I was modeling my faith to him in that jail. And, and that's kind of what you just said. You know, you, you went to your mother's heart, right? Uh, because that's the, that's the best part about being a parent is you, you're passing down that legacy to your child. And that, that's powerful to me. And my dog's barking. Can you hear him? <laughs> I feel protected. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, yeah, I would, yeah, I would agree with that, except I think sometimes I think my daughter needs to see me scared because uh-huh. I think she needs to see me human. Right. And I think it's important for her to know that being scared is okay. And sometimes there's going to be things that scare you. And she needs to see, first of all, that I'm human, but then she needs to see me go to God with it. And I think that that's so important because if you, if you only are like, oh, everything's fine, I'm doing great. And you don't show her the hard side of things. Then when she gets to the hard side of things, she might think something's wrong with her. Mm-hmm. And so she definitely sees my humanity. <laughs> But I want her to, I want to point her to God in my humanity. Amen. Well, and if you think about it, that's exactly what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, and, and it's funny because you, you can talk, you can talk a lot about God, right? But being an eyewitness to the crucifixion, uh, there's no more suffering than that, right? I mean, we can't even begin to, to imagine that. Um you know, and I think about his mother watching that, you know, it's like, and and even there, what Jesus did when he died and he commissioned John to take care of his mom, he still had that like, okay, this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, Krista, that's kind of what I hear you saying too. This isn't really ultimately about me. It's like, this is what I want her to know, mm-hmm. you know. I have a blog titled that, that it's not about me. I think, I think a lot of times in our lives, we think everything is about us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in the grand scheme of things, God is doing things in our life, but there's a much bigger picture going on. There are things going on that maybe in the nurses that I see, or there's things where it could bring him glory and it has nothing to do with my little tiny life. And so sometimes I need to step out and realize it's not always about me. It's not it's oftentimes about a bigger picture of bringing God glory. Like the man who was blind in scripture and it said, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus said, this man born blind, but to bring me glory because then he healed him. And if he wasn't blind, then obviously we wouldn't have seen his miracle. And so oftentimes it's not about me. It's about giving God glory in the things you're going through. Yeah, that's true. Amen. All right. Now tell me about your dog, Stella. (laughs) 
I know from I this to the dog. Her too. <laughs> well, I know you did. I, that's in, I had to bring her up because of that. <laughs> Stella is outside and she's very upset with me right now. I'm sure, but Stella was an amazing example of God's faithfulness because we had a dog named Morpheus and he died three years ago. And so we thought about getting another dog. And then we thought financially speaking with cancer, is that a smart idea? And then we were like, no, you know what? It makes sense because a dog will make things lighter. It'll make the mood lighter. It'll give us something to take our attention off. But we made a list of things we wanted in this dog. And it was, it was a long list because we needed a dog that was going to be trained. So I wouldn't have to like, with, when I can't walk, I'm not going to be cleaning up accidents from a dog. We needed a dog that would be my companion and be able to just chill out with me during the day. But then for my daughter and my husband, we needed a dog that was also playful and fun just to take their mind off things. And just this list of what we wanted in this dog. And we found Stella. She is everything. She's got issues, major issues. One being she's extremely afraid of anybody except the three of us. So, I mean, she has her issues, but it was like God just like planned her for us. And so it was just, she's just been an enormous gift. Those of you who are dog lovers, we've had her for about two months and it just watching my husband come home and the joy on his face when that dog greets her, him every day is awesome. And she'll jump all over my daughter and greet her. And yeah, it's, she's been a big, huge gift for us. Nice. Yeah. Well, dogs are awesome. I love dogs. <laughs> Big dogs, little dogs. I don't care what size dog. They're all, they're all great. Every dog rules. Um, <clears throat> so stealing a question from my husband in a previous interview, let me ask you a question. What's one question you would like somebody to ask you that you've never been asked before? What's one question I'd want somebody to ask me? Mm -hmm. I really don't know the answer to that. I think just a little bit different of an answer to that question is I would just like people not to be afraid to ask questions. I think a lot of times when you hear of somebody with a cancer diagnosis, there are people in my life that aren't in my life anymore because I think they just couldn't take it. And I understand that, but um, I think sometimes people just need to ask the questions that are on their mind and not be afraid. I'm not one of those people that don't want to answer personal questions. And sometimes there are people that just, they need answers to what's going on in my life. And so instead of just not talking about things, be like, I'm fine about talking about things if somebody needs to ask it. So I know that's not totally answering your question, but, but it's hard when people have situations like this just to know what to say. And you know what? That's very true. And most people won't ask the questions. They won't. Yeah. They, they won't. And it, cause it's, it's awkward. It's vulnerable. Um, and, and that's another, that's another underlying issue with all of this. You know, I'm all about being vulnerable almost too, you know, I don't, I, I really don't like being vulnerable, but God's got me in this place where like, okay. 
And to me, what that means is like, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you for something I need. I'm going to tell you a, a, a thought that I'm struggling with that, that, that to you, maybe it's no big deal, but you know, I, I'll give you an example. Um, <laughs> this is a goofy example. Um, but recently I had somebody's phone number, um, somebody I really love <laughs> a long time ago, I got their number and for whatever reason, I didn't know how to ask them to confirm it for me. I know it's weird, go figure, but whatever. And then they did confirm it without me even knowing, without me asking, they somehow confirmed it. And, and I was like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, what would have been big deal if I had asked, right? I mean, but, but for me, that would have been it. That would have been the, the vulnerable thing or the, the thing that we're, we're, we're scared of. Um, and it, have you ever heard the story of a guy who was in a hospital with another guy who was in his room and his roommate was looking out the window and every single day he described what was going on outside. Have yes. you heard that story? My dad's told that illustration. Yeah. Yes. So I love that story. And for those of you guys who don't know it, basically this guy does that. He describes the beautiful day that's going outside and it's great. And then one day that guy dies. And so the other guy's like, Hey, I want to move over to that bed so I can look out the window. And when he looks out the window, there's a brick wall, you know, and I, I, a lot of us are like that though. We, we have all these conversations in our head and we're too afraid to, to verbalize them. And I think that's part of writing, you know, part of writing is verbalizing what's up here on paper. Cause you can't necessarily pick up the phone and call somebody. Hey, this is what I want to talk to you about right now. Here's my blog. I'm you know, my audio blog. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you listen to it. And then, then you can comment, <laughs> you know, that's writers are that way. Um, so like when you're laying in bed at night and you wake up in the middle of the night, what do you think about? Um, I'd, I'd like to have a deeply spiritual answer to that question, but I, my medications and my cancer make insomnia a really real thing. So sleeping is a big struggle. And I know there's people that are like, when I get up in the middle of the night, I spend time in prayer, but I'm sorry to tell you when I get up in the middle of the night, I'm just, I'm just upset and angry. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't because I'm so tired, but I'm like, it's not time. I don't do well with spending time in scripture in the middle of the night or praying in the, I might pray that God will help me sleep, but yeah, there's not really anything spiritual going on in my life in the middle of the night. That was Maybe I'd sleep better if there was. That wasn't actually my question though. My question is, what do you think about? What do I think about in the middle of the night? Yeah. My mind races toward the million things. So if I'm not sleeping in the middle of the night, pretty much I'm just sleeping. I'm just thinking about the fact that I'm not sleeping. But one of my issues with not sleeping is because my mind races. Yeah. What do I got to do the next day? Where am I going to go? What's this plan? Yeah. And you haven't solved all the world's problems yet. No, I have not. <laughs> Very few of that. All right. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start wrapping this up because we'll, we'll go another 15 minutes. And I just want to say that Erica said, hi, Donna Christian said, hi, Pam has, Pam said that you have the dog God prepared, 
prepared for you. Uh, uh, Michelle said, yes, it's important to let them see us that way. I think referring to, to you being scared. Um, that's one of the things I love about you, my friend. Um, and I think there's a comment, I think a long time ago, Jeannie put a comment over on YouTube saying um, that she uh, she's 55 years old, not a speed. But in in my book, it, whoever turns 55 this year, your speed, your speed limit. I'm sorry. That's just, that's my thing. But anyway, I have this question, three, I have this 3000 questions book. Mm-hmm. And normally I would ask some weird questions, but I thought today I would let you ask, you give me five numbers and then you have to answer whatever the question is. You game? Oh, I haven't done that since high school. All right. So one question. Can I take dare instead? Just, can you? Can you I'm take just, dare? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, sure. I'm like, is it truth or dare like in high school? No, no, no. These are 3,000 questions. Just pick I'm a gonna number. I'm going to go for question 13. Question, question 13. 13. All right, 13. Okay, here it is. And I actually have this one circled, which means I've asked somebody this. What or who is the greatest love of your life? Well, aside from God, because... God is the greatest love of my life, but I would have to say my husband and I've already talked about many of the things that I love about him, just his sacrificial spirit and his love for his family and his love for me. Yeah. That was an easy one. You pick the number, pick a different number. Lucky number seven. There's 3000 questions here, but okay. Seven. (laughs) <laughs> oh, this is a good one. Bring her back, bare face. Okay. So this question is, on what occasion do you lie? Oh, yeah, Crystal. Let's talk to you about your lying habit. Okay. So. Do I lie? Yeah. Uh, do you lie about your weight? So I am somebody who telling the truth is super important to me. I, I don't know exactly why that is, but like lying, I'm not a liar. And so there's been times in my life that where um, I worked in a toxic um, situation once and I was told that I lied about something and that just infuriated me because I don't lie. But I'll tell you one thing, (laughs) one thing nowadays that I'm really struggling with not lying is the Corona questions when you go to get treatment or you go to the hospital and I'm just like... And they'll say, have you been to Wisconsin or, you know, and I'll be like, yes, I went to Wisconsin. What are you going to do? It's like 20 miles away, you know? So that kind of thing lately, like bothers me because it's almost like they make you lie. But normally I really don't lie about much, much. I think maybe the only exception would be like, if somebody said, does this look nice on me? And if I really thought it didn't, but they can't really go change, I might be like, yeah, (laughs) but yeah, I'm not a big liar. I've got plenty of other faults, but not that one. I'm with you on that. And I don't know about you, but when people, if people lie to me, that's it. All right. So I'm going to pick the next one. I'm going to pick 666 because my guess is you're going there next, right? (laughs) So let's, let's go ahead and pick 666 as the next question that you're going to answer and then you can pick another number okay so this is what is one thing you do consider practical seriously i'm surprised that's 666 but 
Yeah. What is one thing I do that I consider practical? Yeah, that's what that's what this says. I um <laughs> I guess just like normal routine things. I get up and I have a schedule and then like I do the household work and I do the cooking and I have a schedule at night. I guess that's the practical side of me. Okay. Kind of a boring answer, but it does have the word practical in it. This is actually a boring question. All right. There's 3,000 questions. Give me another number. 2,180. 2,180. All right. Here we go. Yes. We're getting to 2,180. Oh, okay. Here it is. 2,180. <laughs> this question is, how cynical are you? How cynical? That's the, okay. that's the question. I didn't come up with it. You picked the number. So normally... I, okay, if you would have asked me 20 years ago how cynical I am, I would say, not very cynical. My husband is extremely cynical. So I will say that he has created some of that in me. And so where he will be like second guessing things or um, second guessing doctors, especially, or those of you who know Rob know that he has his areas or politicians, don't talk politics with Rob, things like that. But um. So I think some of his cynical side has rubbed off on me. And so I'm more cynical than I would have been before we married. <laughs> but yeah. Marriage can make you cynical. Yeah. How long have you been married? Uh, 19. 19 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. A long time. Congrats. Thank you. All right. Another number. Um, 555. 555. Okay, let's see here. I gotta find it. Okay, here's a question. Uh, have you ever walked out on dinner with someone? Ooh, I have. <laughs> I have a story, but go ahead. Have you? <laughs> no, but I have not walked out on dinner with somebody, but I will tell a funny story that my dad might not want me to tell, but tell that's your okay. Dad. Go for it. Once, my dad and I used to go motorcycling together. And so one time I have no idea why he decided to go to this fancy restaurant with me while we were motorcycling. So first of all, we come into this restaurant and everyone's like in suit and ties and we're wearing like tank tops and <laughs> tank tops and blue jeans. So we go in and we, and we eat and everything. And for some reason, I think the situation was that they did not accept tips on the credit card, but they only accepted cash for tips. <laughs> so I, my dad said he paid for the dinner and then I'm like, well, what are you gonna do? And he's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> so he just took off and I'm sitting here and I'm like, well, what? So yes. So that was one time we left a restaurant. I'm sure he went back later and made it right though. You'll there have you to go. see if he says so in the comments. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm, I, I'm really trying to see the comments because Facebook is kind of, it's where most people yeah. are commenting. If you guys have any questions for Krista, let me know and I will see if I can get it. Um, okay. Another number. Are you on another question? Mm -hmm. Let's see. Um, uh, let's do 
2460. 2460. Okay. Let's see here. <clears throat> Almost Jean Valjean's number. There's a lot of questions in here. <laughs> I don't know who wrote these. Okay, 2460. Have you ever bent the rules to get ahead? Bend the rules to get ahead. Well, you can see how very ahead I am. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously. Right. Um, I don't think so. I don't I don't know of a time. I've never been like a big ladder climber, you know. So my profession is a teacher, and I've never had I've never had any desire to like be in to be like a principal or a superintendent or something like that and so you know when I was a teacher I was where I wanted to be so I don't remember bending the rules to get the head so. your dad said nope he said I haven't no I mean I think he's responding to making it right with the tip oh did he go back and <laughs> Said, I think he said no. He didn't do I was that. Trying to give you, I was trying to give you an out, Dad. Trying to let you lie, Joe. Just so you know, that's the little. Thing. Yeah, you can ask him the question. You never lie. Have you ever been what banned? What is your darkest secret? Have you ever been banned from a public place? Are you asking me? Or are you asking my dad? I'm not. I'm not interviewing your dad. I'm interviewing you. <laughs> Because that'd be, have I been banned from a public place? Yeah. Oh, goodness. This there is, is some, such a thing called cancer brain where really I don't remember what I ate for dinner yesterday. So have I been banned from a public place? <laughs> I have no idea. Probably not. That's my guess. I don't think so. I've always been pretty big, a pretty big rule follower. So I doubt it. Hmm. Not that I can remember. So what's one question you think you'll ask the Lord Jesus when you see him? Oh, I, I have a funny feeling when I see him, I won't be saying anything, but um, I don't know. There's a million questions that I can think that I'd want to ask him, but I think I would just want to embrace him and be near him. Um, I know a lot of people would think I'd want to ask him why or something into that nature. I think if anything, I just wanna make sure that the people I loved are gonna end up being there with me. So I might ask him about that. Mm. Might ask him if Adam had a belly button. <laughs> you know, deep things like that. But I doubt, I doubt when we get to heaven, we might have questions later, but I think the first thing I have had poor vision all my life. And so I always have this thought that the first person I'm going to see clearly is going to be Christ. And I think that's going to be an amazing moment. And I'm not going to have any questions to ask <clears throat> him because I think it'll just be beautiful to see the face of my savior. So, yeah. That's beautiful. I'm not afraid of death. I am afraid of pain. <laughs> I am afraid of the journey that it takes to get there. Yeah. If, if you could pick how you were going to die, how would you do it? 
<laughs> this sounds like a suicidal question. <laughs> this, this, this isn't. This is not meant to say. No, no, you know, no. <laughs> just so you know how that sounds, but you know what I'm talking about. God. You know, in movies, it always shows dying as a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. You're there with your family, and you can say all the wonderful things that you wanted to tell them. But oftentimes, people are are high on painkillers and they can't make any sense. And so I do, I watch movies sometimes just to think about how to die well and what that would look like. And I think if I were to choose, it would be that I wouldn't have any pain for some reason and that I'd be able to talk to my family and be with them. I mean, now during COVID, you can't even be with your family often. But um, I have written letters to my family because there could come a time that I can't express things. And so sometimes death is not beautiful. Just like they say birth is so beautiful, birth is not beautiful. I don't know what they're talking about. When I gave birth to my child, that was not a beautiful thing. And oftentimes death isn't. So if I were to choose, I would have my entire family there and I would be able to talk to each one of them and tell them how much I love them. And then I would just slip away to be with my Lord. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that um, <clears throat> I don't think death is beautiful anytime, period. You know, I watched my mom die of cancer. It was, it's, it's a memory in my mind that I ignore most of the time. I try to get it out of my head because by the end, like you said, you know, she was on a ventilator. She was, you know, all of that. And the last thing I did for my mom when she was living was I gave her um, an ice chip put it in her mouth and you know I mean it's it's that thing but I remember when I was in grad school making the decision whether or not I was going to do this with her because prior to that she had hurt me so bad I had walked away from my relationship with her um, but I forgave her she became a Christian through that process of cancer so she's now with the Lord and um, my professor uh, said to me Try to be there with her if you can so that you could see if the Holy Spirit, his presence shows up and you can feel his peace. And I was, my husband was, my brother was, and right before she died, we both all stood up. We went around her bed. She died and the Holy Spirit fell on our room. It was the most beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, that would, I mean, in my, in my world, that was it. And then after she was gone, I walked out of the room and never looked back because she wasn't there anymore. And I knew where she was. So yeah, I have loved this. And, um, you know, I think that uh, this has definitely encouraged a lot of people, a lot of your friends, your family, um, hopefully your daughter and your husband and your dad and your mom and your friends and all the people who don't know you. Uh, have a better idea of who you are, what your legacy is now, what it will be hopefully for many years to come. And if it's not, God's will is done, right? Yep. So I wanted to say thank you for praying for me and for validating. And this is the other thing too. You validate, you know, and this, I think this is a good lesson. You validate pain. You know, it's not just cancer is just one thing. We all have pain. And one of the things you told me was that it's okay to have your pain. 
it's okay. Just because somebody has cancer doesn't mean that your pain is invalid. And yeah. the old therapist needed to hear that, you know, <laughs> you know, so I want you to know I love you. And um, it's been an honor. <laughs> All right, people. Do you, you have any final thoughts? Wait, who's on screen? <laughs> it's like, where do we go? Okay. All right. So, do you 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 have any closing thoughts you can you, you can share before I leave? I just encourage anybody. I don't get paid for it, but I encourage anybody who's going through a new normal, who's struggling. I know winter time is a really hard time for people with depression and anxiety. I encourage you to read my blogs. I actually went, um, I've been struggling lately with a lot of not being able to be with family and friends. And I got impressed on me, go read your own blogs. <laughs> and I did. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was encouraging. God taught me that. But I just encourage you to go to my blogs and to be able to read them again at newnormallife1 at wordpress.com. And um, yeah. Nice. All right, everybody. Well, you heard what she said, so do it, or else she might beat you up later. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's it. So everybody, you know, seriously, thank you for tuning in. I hope that you can share this interview with other people. And um, just remember, hey, we all have a new normal. Unfortunately, COVID is part of it right now. But, um, you know, as I always tell my, my listeners at the end of the show, be bold in your faith stand up and go with God because he loves you. He really does. And I think we've seen that today with Krista and her testimony. Um, and we'll see you later.